All right, Three Circle Church, great to be with you guys. Today we got all of our campuses joining us right now and those online and all of us here, we are going to continue our series called The Fruit of the Spirit. But before we do, I want to celebrate something that happened at one of our campuses this weekend. Years ago, we started an incredible ministry called our Midtown Mobile Campus and every year there, we do the Back to School Bash to help families and kids get prepared for school. It's a big financial burden for a lot of families. So that happened yesterday. You're seeing pictures of what went down and here's the good news yesterday 480 meals were served and 250 book bags loaded down so kids get a book bag loaded down with all their supplies they need 250 kids got that yesterday and we celebrate that what's going on at our midtown campus as we do that, keep in mind, we are not just one location. We have multiple locations, all with unique ministries, unique local outreach. That's why we're called Three Circle Church, local, regional, global, Acts 1-8. I could explain all that to you, but, but right now what you're doing is you're seeing it. I'm showing you the vision of our church to uh, make a difference in local communities all over the world. And that's what it's all about. So today we're going to dive into the word. And Galatians is kind of where we've been anchored. So we have anchored ourselves all summer into this beautiful, beautiful teaching from the Apostle Paul that was kind of uh, given to us originally from Jesus, where Jesus said, I want you to bear much fruit, but you can't do it apart from me. And then the Apostle Paul expanded on that in the book of Galatians to tell us, here's what the fruit of the Spirit is, here's the components of it, here's what you want to be looking for in your life. And all summer long we've been looking at these, and today we're going we're gonna to see another one of those components in our lives. So Galatians 5, to 25. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Now, that last little portion, I want, I want you to just kind of grab it and hold on to it because it's a theme. Paul and the apostles are all going to tell us that, hey, your salvation has nothing to do with you. And the mystery of God's power and sovereignty, he chooses and he saves. It's a gift from God. But once we become Christians... There is effort to be made on our parts, and it is mysterious as well, because if you were to ask me how much of my effort in growing in Christ is there and how much of it is God growing me in Christ, I'm going to give you the most profound theological answer you've ever heard. I got no clue, all right? I don't know. I don't know what the answer to that is, uh, and, and no theologian ever has. There is a mystery there, but, but Paul is saying that we've got a part. We are to keep in step with the Spirit. So we can't do anything apart from Christ. It's all his power. But we are not to just sit back once we become Christians and go, well, I hope I grow. Well, it's all up to the Lord. No, 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 you got a part to play. And I can't tell you what that percentage is. In fact, I think it's all intertwined. But I do think that this new desire set of taste buds for your soul, all that we've used to describe this fruit of the Spirit that was put in you when you were saved, we're supposed to lean into that. We're supposed to chase after that. And you'll see that theme today. And we see all of these components, right? We've got love and joy and peace and all these things. And last week we looked at goodness. And we said last week that goodness is our new default mode as Christians, right? Well, today we're going to look at faithfulness. What's the difference between goodness and faithfulness? And many theologians have looked at this and said, man, they're really tight. They're really close together. But I think actually as you dive in, there's more space than you realize between the two. So we said goodness is that default mode. Well, what is faithfulness? So we're going to define it this way, and every word matters here. Faithfulness is a demonstrated, so you can see it. 
It's not just said. It's not aspirational. It's actual. It is a demonstrated consistency of joyful obedience, not just begrudging acquiescence, but joyful obedience and submission to God's authority in the life of all real believers. So we're saying this begin, this happens. It's not, remember, you don't pick and choose the fruit of the Spirit. I don't go, well, I'm a Christian. I'm not so good at peace, but I'm real good at love. That's not how it works. No, I got all of it. I got all the fruit of the Spirit in me, and God's growing all of the fruit of the Spirit. So this is something that will happen in your life as a believer. You will become more consistent and joyful in your obedience to the commands of God and submitting to his authority in your life. You'll become more and more and more consistent. Now, the truth is, without Christ, we are so inconsistent. In fact, one of the kind of identifiers for humans is that we are up and down and moody and we've got different versions of us and all of that and circumstances can change how we act and react. We are inconsistent. So when God begins to grow the fruit of the Spirit in us and one of those things is faithfulness, which has a component of consistency to it, well, that changes how you look in the world. People begin to go, there's something different about you. And to help us illustrate this, I want to talk about, well, who I think is the greatest pitcher of all time, and I'm not alone. A lot of people think he's the greatest pitcher of all time. And uh, I grew up playing baseball, love baseball, still do. And so he was at the tail end of his career when I was a teenager and, and was loving him as a player. And, and I'm just telling you, in the late uh, 80s and the early 90s, if you're a batter, you didn't want to face this guy. This is not the face you wanted to see. That's Nolan Ryan. And we can argue some statistics. And I think he's the greatest pitcher ever. A lot of guys do. They think he's certainly the most overpowering pitcher ever, the most feared pitcher ever. Everybody was afraid of him. Even Bo Jackson did not want to hit against him, okay? He was great. Now, that guy, that guy right there is in his last season. That's a 46-year-old man. He was still throwing over 100 miles an hour, okay? He's 46 years old. And let me just tell you, they have figured out that they were testing his pitches with older technology, and it was about five to seven miles an hour off, which means that man was throwing in the mid, like he was 105, 106, 107. That's the kind of stuff that guy's throwing, okay? At 46 years old, and he owns the rec- so many records, strikeout records, no-hitter records, all that stuff that guy owns, okay? Now, so that's Nolan Ryan, okay? But that's not who he always was. Nolan Ryan was not always that guy. In fact, to know his whole story, you need to know that there was a time in his life where Nolan Ryan was actually this guy. Now, that's young Nolan Ryan, and that is not the holder of the records, the no-hitters. The guy you looked at with the Texas Rangers, he was like, every time he took the mound, everyone said, something great's about to happen. People would begin to give him a standing ovation, hadn't even thrown a pitch, but this guy didn't get standing ovations. This is Nolan Ryan with the New York Mets. He was so bad with the New York Mets. Now, he's still Nolan Ryan. Now, let's be honest. All that talent was inside of him. It was put in him when he was born. That dude had a body. Your body should not work the way his did. He was given a gift. It was all in there, but it was not. You couldn't see it yet, okay, because he could still throw the ball hard, but you never knew where it was going. He was wild. He was, watch this, inconsistent. So here's what would happen in Nolan Ryan's early days with the Mets. He would throw a game, and everyone would go, that's the best pitcher ever. No one's ever pitched like that. And then he would have 10 games where everybody went, he's never thrown a ball in his life, obviously. It was that bad. He was wild. Pitchers would just, like, shake. You know, the other team, when he would take the mound, this is true, I just saw a documentary, the other team would start laughing, and his own team would shake their heads 
when it came time for Nolan to come out to the mound. Imagine that. He was so bad that the Mets got rid of him. Imagine that. Can you imagine letting the greatest pitcher of all time walk away? They glad they were like, good riddance. That dude's going to hurt somebody. So then he ended up here. Now, this is what changed everything. Nolan Ryan ends up with the Angels, and this may blow your mind in a day where six-year-olds get their own coaches in baseball because every little Billy at the ballpark is going to become the... Anyway, that's a whole other sermon series. <laughs> All right, so he goes to the Angels, watch this, and he gets for the first time in his life a pitching coach. He never had a pitching coach. And a pitching coach comes up to Nolan Ryan, and he's like, hey, I think you're the best pitcher I've ever seen. But you're wild. And here's why you're so wild. Because you have bad mechanics. And this coach, for the first time in his life, began to correct his mechanics. And see, here's what happened. Here's what happened. That talent was already in there. But what was going on with the New York Mets is Nolan Ryan, watch this, would have a good pitching day, but that's not who he was yet. He was not a good pitcher yet. He would have a good day in 10 bad days, which meant his pattern was wild pitcher, right? He was a wild pitcher who could every now and then pull off a good game. But when he, when he went to the Angels, uh, someone other than himself began to do something with him, in him, and change who he was as a pitcher, and he flipped the game. And then Nolan Ryan became this guy who almost always pitched great consistently and every now and then would have a bad game. Does that make sense? And so because of what happened with the Angels, we all ended up with this guy once again. The guy holding all the records. The guy that we all say he's got statues and all that. You know, they even found out he could wrestle. One guy ran to the mound and found out the most famous picture in Major League history is Nolan Ryan. Anyway, you remember that picture? If you don't know that, go Google Nolan Ryan fight. That's all you got to see and, and just sit back and enjoy. Uh, a Texas man uh, putting it on a guy who made a mistake of running the mound on a 46-year-old man. Anyway, it's great. It's just... Maybe I'm bad for thinking it's so great. I'll get an email. Is that what a pastor should like? Okay. Okay. Now, watch. Now, this is what God's doing in our lives. For our own line, all our campuses, all of us here, listen. Listen. You, when you become a Christian, you're going to get so frustrated over the fact that you're inconsistent. And it's up and down and you're wondering, but listen, God is doing a work in you. And what you're going to see happen is slowly but surely he's working this thing in you and you're going to become more consistent and your highs and lows are going to get more evened out over time. And the fruit that we're looking for there, what that is called is faithfulness. That's it. It's this consistency that builds up in your life that you can depend on. It's so pronounced that you go, wow, that's not who I used to be. Something changed, and it's what Christ does in us. 1 Corinthians 4, 1 through 2, Paul says it like this. Now, this is beautiful language. Very underrated verse here. People should quote it way more. This is how one should regard us. So he's saying as Christians, we need to understand this is who we are. First, we are servants of Christ, Okay. And, and since we're servants of Christ, he uses this language. He says, we are stewards of the mysteries of God. <clears throat> now, a steward is someone who manages. You've been given responsibility with the gospel. Okay? So it's in our hands, and you're supposed to do something with it. Watch what he says, verse 2. Moreover, if you're a steward, and we are, it is required of stewards that they be, and I love this phrase, be found faithful. Found faithful. And that's our fruit today we're looking at. Faithfulness. Found consistent. Found persevering, found dependable. That's what faithful is. 
So, so watch this. So what Paul is saying is, is that faithfulness must be observed. And he's saying that as Christians, we need to be living lives that can handle the hot white light of investigation. That's why he said, found faithful. Can my life and yours, if we put it under the microscope and they look. Now, they're, again, they're going to see bad moments. Nolan Ryan, you looked at, if you look at him with the Rangers, there were still bad games. But there was this overwhelming pattern that that's one of the best pitchers ever. Like most of the time when you see this guy, here's how he's going to pitch. And what Paul is saying is in the life of all believers, it becomes more and more and more and more pronounced. If you're in Christ, if you're abiding in Jesus, what's going to happen is more and more, it's going to be overwhelming as the world investigates your life. You belong to Christ. It's going to be so obvious. You will be found faithful. So let me ask you this before we go on. If I go digging around in your life right now, what do I find? What evidence do I find? If I look into your life, maybe it's been a while since you've looked around in your life, since you've investigated, dug around in there. What's going on? How is the marriage? How is the parenting? How is your uh, mental life? How is your purity life and what you're looking at, what you're letting in your life? How's it going? Have you investigated? And if you are, what do you find? What do you find? That is something Paul says, we need to be found faithful. Faithful, persevering, staying true, staying strong, a observable thing. So when he says found faithful, what he means is an observable track record. That's what faithfulness is. It's observable. I can see it. I can see that pattern. I can see what God's doing in your life and mine. Now, where can it be? I'll tell you this all the time. With all the fruit of the Spirit, this is true. Maybe this is one of the strongest. Where you find this first is in your most intimate environments. The fruit of the Spirit is not, is not first observable in big environments. It's first observable and most accurately observable in your most intimate environments. That means that if you're single, it's going to be your friend groups. Do you have friend groups? They're around you a lot. They see you in a lot of situations. What would they say? Don't tell me what you are on your best day. Don't tell me what you can pull off in a moment. Tell me who you are when things aren't going well. I don't know how you guys are, but circumstances can kind of change how old Pastor Chris acts sometimes. You know, my family knows that, and by the way, my home, since I'm married and I have kids, there is ground zero for the fruit of the Spirit in my life. You know, I, like, you guys aren't the number one way to see if I've got the fruit of the Spirit growing in my life. I can pull this off sometimes. If you want to know who I am, Go talk to the petite little southern lady that lives at my house. Her name is Nan. Ask her if she sees the fruit because she sees the patterns. Ask my three kids. They'll tell you because they let me know all the time. Oh, they're investigating all the time and letting me know even when I don't ask them. They'll let me know my inconsistencies. It's your most intimate environments where the fruit can most accurately be seen. Paul said, be found faithful. So my family will tell you, they're like, hey, <clears throat> just so you know, Sunday afternoon. So here's how Sundays work for me. I do all this preaching and stuff. I know y'all have your hard days as well. But I'm feeling, man, it's awesome. And then I get home, I still got an adrenaline thing going. And for a couple of hours, it's all good. Like they know they can ask for things and it's almost always a yes because it's, woo, everything's good. Dad, can we go here? Yes. Can I buy this, which is dangerous? It's almost always, yeah, sure. 
And then they all, they, my whole family tells me that sometime in the afternoon they know when it switches. They know when the adrenaline has gone away and they know that grumpy dad has arrived. <laughs> and I catch it out of the corner of my eye where they're like, one of them will walk in to say something, the other one's like, it's over with. Watch this because it's, it, I, I'm still in process and you are too. I want to be like Jesus, which is what the fruit of the Spirit's all about. I'm not there yet, but God's working in my life. So you can see inconsistencies, even in the life of believers. But God is working that stuff out of us. And it is an observable track record. But here's the thing we need to know about the fruit of the Spirit. Every single one of them, this one included, the reason they're so important is because they are the character components of Jesus himself. Every piece of the fruit of the Spirit is Jesus is his character. And this is one of them too. You can write this down. God is faithful. He is faithful. He will never, so like me, with my kids, when they're like, well, bad day for dad, whatever, you will never have to, you'll never have to go, hey, no need in praying today. God's in a bad mood. Do you understand why that's important? Like we can have a little fun with that. Do you understand how otherworldly it is for a being to be completely, eternally consistent. What does that mean for our prayer lives? What does that mean for our walking with God? You don't have to worry about God ever having a bad day. No one's ever said that. You can read all four Gospels. You'll never find a moment where the disciples are like, Ooh, don't mess with Jesus today. You never hear them going, Jesus was good and mighty and powerful, and that brother was moody. Never. You know what was overwhelming to them? And these are 12 dudes, eventually 11, that they were in, they're like us. They're up and down and inconsistent and moody and they're immature and they mess up. They're strong today, they're weak tomorrow. But Jesus was always like there. It was this consistency that they observed. For instance, his prayer life. His prayer life was so consistent that finally they came to him, they're like, Teach us how to pray. It's the only thing they ever asked him to teach them. Only thing. They said, would you teach us how to pray? Because you pray every day. Like, we know where you are when we're like, where's Jesus praying? You do know that when Judas had to tell them where to arrest him, he was like, I know where he's going to be. Well, how do you know? Trust me. I, I know where he's going to be. He's going to be praying. I know where Jesus is going to be. You can depend on it. I know exactly where that man will be. He was so consistent. And I don't know about you, I look at my own life sometimes and I am dismayed at my inconsistency. Please don't leave me hanging up here. How many of you, how many of you know what I'm talking about? Are you, are you saying you know my inconsistencies or your own? I'm not sure. All right. But Jesus is consistent. And, and the Bible lets us know that this is good for us to know and focus on. That he is faithful and consistent. Deuteronomy 7, 9. It does not say, let's hope God. It doesn't say, maybe he is. It says, know therefore, the Lord your God is God and he is faithful. He's the faithful God and here's what that means. He keeps his covenants, his steadfast love with those who love him and he keeps his commandments to a thousand generations, which was a Hebrew phrase that meant he will never stop being faithful. Isn't that good? You don't ever have to worry about God being faithful. He is faithful. It's who he is. First John 1 John 1.9. Now, I want you to know who wrote this. So here, as a teenager, this guy was a teenager when he was walking with Jesus on the earth, okay? 
He's the only disciple to go to the cross. He's the only one. He had to go tell everyone else what he saw. Okay? He's, he's an eyewitness of the crucifixion. And he walked with Jesus. He saw that consistency. He saw Jesus in all sorts of circumstances just keep being Jesus and keep being consistent and faithful to the point where if you're going to see Jesus break, anyone break, because everyone broke under Roman execution. Everyone broke then. They broke you. But they didn't break Jesus. They didn't break, they didn't break Jesus. Pilate couldn't scare him. He stayed consistent. Pilate's like, do you know I have the power to crucify you, Jesus? Actually, you don't. He stayed faithful. They take him to the cross. They have beaten him beyond the recognition of a man, and he's still holding strong. And then John hears these words. They have nailed him to the cross. His body literally is being torn apart. And, and they all hear, and John hears it. This teenager, he hears that prayer. Father, forgive them. And you, can you imagine as a young man going, he's unbreakable. He's still him. That's the same thing he's always been saying. This couldn't even break him. There he is in the worst excruciating thing you can ever imagine. And he's still Jesus. And that guy, when he was an old guy, wrote these words. 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, he is what? He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Now, when John used the word cleanse, it really meant something to him because he, as a, as a teenage guy, had Jesus, the day before he died, wash his dirty feet to prepare him for the meal. That was what a servant was supposed to do. Jesus did it for him. So John, in his old age, he says, let me put it all together for you. I saw Jesus serve me like a servant. And wash my feet to get me ready for a meal that he was serving. And then the next day, I saw with my own eyes him continue to serve. And continue to be consistent. And continue to be faithful. So he says, so let me give you first person evidence here. You're never going to come to Jesus and him not be Jesus. Ever. You're never going to come to him for forgiveness and him turn you away. You're never going to find an inconsistency, a ripple, a, 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 a space in his character. Ever. Ever. You're never going to find it. John says, and since we have that, we can be confident in that. See, because of all that truth, church, Christians live in confidence because of the faithfulness of God. His faithfulness should give us confidence. It should give us joy. We should worship him for his faithfulness, his unchanging nature, that we're never going to run out of God's grace and goodness and power. The Bible is so clear about this that you can have confidence even in death, that it doesn't stop there, that even in death he's going to be faithful to you. King David in the Old Testament said, I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, and yet you are going to be with me, your rod, your staff, they comfort me. I will always see your goodness. David was convinced even death would not separate him from the goodness and faithfulness of God. Folks, that is good news. It's real good news because we're all going to take that walk. Now, you're going to face some times in your life where you're going to go, I don't know, man, I, this is bigger than me. I don't know if I feel the goodness of God. And that's where John and Peter and all the disciples would say, trust us. He's going to be there with you. He will never leave you, never forsake you. And that track record we have gives us confidence. It gives us confidence. We know. We don't have to worry. Hey, 
We're not walking on eggshells with the living God. And we better be glad we're not. He's not inconsistent. He's totally dependable. His character is unchanging. And I want you to feel that today as believers. I want you to have that kind of confidence. Because when you have that kind of confidence, you live in joy. You live in peace. And and here's what will happen. And you will become more like him. You yourself will become more faithful as you reflect his glory in your own life. Paul said this in 2 Timothy 2, 10 through 13. So remember, this is the same guy that wrote all this. He's writing a letter to Timothy. So when you read your Bible, don't think the names always mean that's who wrote it. Timothy was not written by Timothy. It was written by Paul to Timothy, okay? So he's, he's mentoring this young man. And I want you to watch what Paul's going to do here. He's going to anchor God's activity of the track record. He always is faithful. He's going to anchor that down into God's character. Look what he says. Therefore... He says, I endure. Endure, by the way, is another word for faithful. It's all connected, synonymous. He says, I endure everything for the sake of the elect, the church, that they also may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. So Paul's telling you the reason he worked so hard to be consistent himself, faithful himself, persevere himself, is he understood that he was a steward and he needed to be found faithful for the good of the church. And so he's letting them know, I work real hard at this. It's real hard. Verse 11. He says, this saying is trustworthy, for if we have died with him, we also live with him. So he's saying, if you're really a Christian, this is true for you. If you've died with him, you live with him. He says, if we endure, we will reign with him. Meaning that if we're faithful, the only way you can be faithful consistently is if you're really a Christian. So he says, you're going to reign with him one day. Here, Here, this next line is for unbelievers. He says, but if you deny him, he will deny you. Meaning that... Denial of Christ, it means you're not a believer. Now look at verse 13. This is interesting. He pulls it all together. He says, if we, us real Christians, if we are faithless, how many of you have faithless days? You have those moments that you're not strong. You're a Christian, but you have weak days, right? He says, if we're faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. It's good news. Again, listen. He's faithful even when you're not. You want to write that down because that's a confidence-boosting statement. When we're unfaithful, he will be faithful. Let me say it again. God is faithful. The guys in the back will put it on the screen for us. God is faithful even when we're not faithful. He is because he cannot deny himself. He cannot deny himself. I took, I've told you this story before, I'll tell you again. took my kids to Disney one time. I remember my daughter was too young. We took the boys. They were so excited. We got there, the crowds were huge. And my boys both grabbed my hands. And I, and I told them at the hotel, I'm like, hey, you hold daddy's hand while we're there. Big crowds are going to have fun, but you hold on to my hand while we're in there so we know where you are. We even had T-shirts on there, like Bell Family, real bright. They wouldn't wear one of those now. We're going to make them sometime, though, soon. We're going to do it again. <laughs> so they're so excited. We get there. They see the crowd, they're holding my hand real tight, real tight. And we're walking around, and do you know it took like five minutes, and I felt those little hands letting go. Because they started seeing stuff, they got comfortable, they thought, oh, we're fine. And those little hands were letting go of mine. But do you know that we went to Disney all that week, and we did not lose them, not one time. (laughs) You want to know why? Not because they held on to me. 
but because I held on to them. That's why. Because if it were up to Gabe and Cooper when they were little boys, they would have ended up in Idaho or somewhere. Because <laughs> they forgot about everything I told them when they saw Mickey and Donald and everybody else. But I wouldn't let go of them. And that is your story as a Christian. You will have unfaithful days. You will have weak days. You will have days that you are off. And your heavenly father will not let go of you. Jesus said, I hold them in my grip. My father holds us in his grip. Jesus over and over said, you will never, ever get out of the grip of his grace. No power above or below ever has been, ever will be, will ever separate you from the love of God. Because when you let go of him, he will not let go of you. That is good news. It's real good news. So today we can have this confidence in him. God is faithful even when we are not. Now, I want to show you a picture of a guy, famous guy in the Bible, a superstar, so that you see that, that we're a lot like them. They were a lot like us. They're in the same process. His name was Peter, and I want to show you Peter having a good day, but I want, you to show, I want to show you that he was like Nolan Ryan. He was a wild pitcher still. And this is the greatest moment to show you this. Matthew 16, it says, Now when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, Who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, Some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, others Jeremiah, some say the prophets. And he said to them, But who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter replied, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Like, that's some theology, y'all. That means he's saying, You're the Messiah the Old Testament promised, and now I realize you're also God, so you're God and man it's all right there. It's brilliant theology. Jesus said to him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you. My Father who is in heaven has. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I'll build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. This was a great moment. In fact, if you know Peter's personality from the Bible, I'm pretty sure he's turning around, looking at his 11 buddies, going, mm-hmm. Y'all heard that, right? John, you heard that, right? I know you're always sitting right next to Jesus, but I got this one right. That was a preacher joke that went right over your head, but lunchtime you'll grab onto it. It's very high quality. <laughs> Peter got it right. That's his good game. That's his good day. But Peter's not the Peter he's going to be one day yet. And literally in the next moment, verse 21, it says, From that time Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders, chief priests and scribes, and be killed, and on the third day be raised. Watch this. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. <laughs> the words rebuke Jesus should never be said. He's God. You don't rebuke Jesus. Rebuke in the Hebrew and in the Greek is strong language. Peter is getting on Jesus. Man, the hubris, the arrogance. He's, he said, far be it from you, Lord. This shall never happen to you. Jesus looked at him and said, get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to me. You're not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. Folks, that happened in the same, like, few minutes. Can we all go, thank you for Peter in the Bible. Thank you for that guy. I'm sure he wasn't turning around looking at his buddies then. And as you look at his life, you go, oh, there it is. There's the process. Because if you think that's bad, it won't be long. He's going to be denying Jesus three times. And you look and you go, that guy's a mess. Uh oh, what you don't realize, he was Nolan Ryan at the Mets. 
You don't realize there was a home run hitter, uh, a no hitter pitcher, a hall of famer inside that guy. Because Jesus was working on him the whole time. And he's going to step out in Jerusalem a few months later. And he's going to preach the best sermon ever, anyone's ever heard. It's going to start the movement called the church. The Sanhedrin's going to pull him in, try to scare him. He's going to scare them. He's going to be like, hey, you'll have to kill me to shut me up. I will not stop preaching. This is going to become one of the great leaders of the early church. And if you took a snapshot of him, what we're looking at today, you would think, I don't know about that guy. And Jesus did. Jesus did. And he's not done with you either. He's working in what you end up with with Peter if you look at his whole life. The caboose to the engine, the engine to the caboose. You see his whole life. You will see a pattern of faithfulness that grew in him. You'll see these inconsistencies start evening out to the Peter that we know from the Bible. Peter's an example of inconsistency becoming consistency through the process of maturity. The fruit of the Spirit growing in his life. You'll see it in your life too. Don't be dismayed. Don't be dismayed. But also, let me say, closing today, don't be passive either. Because what you heard, remember I told you, grab onto it. Paul said, keep in step with the Spirit. Well, that sounds like a command because it is. And this same guy, Peter, who God grew and God sanctified and God grew that faithfulness and gave him a track record, well, he wrote in his old age, in 2 Peter 1, 5 through 7, listen to this language. He says, for this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith. That's all God and the gift of God and your salvation. He says, you need to make every effort to supplement that with virtue. Virtue with knowledge, knowledge, self-control, self-control with steadfastness, steadfastness with godliness, godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. He's basically giving you a version of the fruit of the Spirit. That word steadfastness and perseverance, those words mean faithfulness. You want to write that down. It's all the same language here. So listen to what Peter is saying. He's saying, you need to run after this. You need to want faithfulness in your life, and you need to do what is necessary. Do what God's put in your hands. Chase after it. Use the new nature God's put in you. Nolan Ryan did not wake up one day and go, you know what? I think I want to have the most unique arm ever given to a baseball player. No, that was given to him. You and I don't have that same arm. I may, but I just got called to ministry. <laughs> no, no, I don't. But you know what? It took some effort, didn't it, for him? It took time for him to become what he was created to be. And I'm just telling you, we're all in a process. Don't be passive. Peter says, you make every effort you can. You fight for it. You run after it. So that you can be found faithful. Found faithful to the glory of God, to your own joy, to the good of those around you. I heard a guy the other day use a piece of language we're going to land the plane on because I think it's so powerful. It's not my own language. It's someone else's, but I loved it. He says, seek to build a stack of undeniable proof that you are who you say you are. I like that, a stack of undeniable proof. Now, let me just help everyone. Every one of us, we have a stack of proof. What does yours say? What does the stack of proof you leave behind every day, what does it say? Does it line up with what you say you believe? 
And what we want to do is we want to see more of that. Let's build a stack of proof behind us as believers that points to Jesus and his power in our lives. Amen?